0: Hello, and welcome to The Edge and Beyond, a series that makes sense of powerful innovation for real-world industry applications. And it's brought to you by the Intel Internet of Things Group. In this episode, we're going to explore the hybrid classroom, some interesting educational trending use cases, and the innovation enabled by Intel's Internet of Things Group. I'm your host, Mark Frost, from Intel's Retail Banking Hospitality and Education Division. And today, I'm joined by two esteemed gentlemen, Duncan Peberdy from Learn From Anywhere, and Peter Claxton from ViewSonic. Welcome, Duncan and Peter. Hi, Mark. Thanks. Hi. So, Duncan, uh, why not introduce yourself, please?
1: Thank you, Mark. Yes. Well, my background is actually commercial rather than academic, and I've been working with higher education since 2006. Uh, I was uh, on the commercial side of a project at the University the university of nottingham they were part of a uk-wide initiative to develop new ways of learning and teaching so this has been a constant theme it's been um it's been funded by various sector bodies since you know almost time immemorial certainly since edtech
0: came around that's interesting actually so i think you know we'll touch on a lot of those topics today and trying to bring some of this stuff from kind of myth into actual physical reality that that people can use Um, yeah cool so thanks duncan and peter why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself
2: Okay. Thank you, Mark. And I'm Peter Claxton. I'm the Senior Director for ViewSonic across Europe, and I am really passionate and totally focused on edtech and the benefits that can bring. If you ask what's our mission, it's about inspiring the world. It's about looking to see the difference between ordinary and extraordinary. And my passion is really Driving educational outcomes. So, I'm an ex teacher and I've worked in EdTech for 30 plus years. I could really see in a school that I was working in, in a larger, larger state in the UK, the actual benefits that this education technology could bring. And what's driving me at the moment is really partnerships and looking at how we can work as ViewSonic with key organizations such as Intel, and how we can make two plus two equal five.
0: Cool, thank you, gents. So our session today is around the hybrid classroom um, and some of the kind of cool new use cases and technology involved. So we should begin to put some context around this work. So so Duncan, um, what do you see is the current state of on-campus and remote learning today?
1: There's not one answer to that because I think there's different things going on in, in campuses right across the UK and beyond, actually, right in America. Obviously, we're now at the start of the new term, freshers' weeks are back. So the, the social and emotional side of learning that everybody's missed through being isolated at home over the last 18 months is back in full swing. When it comes to learning and teaching, there is a, there is a whole mixed bag out there. I'm aware of some colleges where everybody's back in class. The Russell Group have been criticised a little bit recently for saying there's going to be a lot of blended learning. Uh, for, certainly for this term up until Christmas. Now you know the reasons for that are not cl- are not crystal clear. Is it because their international students are still out of the UK? They're not here yet, and therefore they don't want to give them a different experience to the to the UK students that are on campus. Is it because of social distancing? They still don't want to put all the students into one space? Or is it just because there's been such a poor experience of online learning, you know, mm-hmm. during the pandemic? We keep having lots of conversations with universities and colleges who are saying, listen, we've been talking about this for twelve months. You know, we were thinking of putting new facilities, new ed tech in place to help us get beyond the Teams and Zoom and to do something more constructive, something that probably engages more, gives a better sense of belonging, but we still haven't done it. We don't know where those investments should be made because... Like everything in life, there's a whole range, isn't there? There's 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 things that you can spend an awful lot of money on. There's things you can spend a very small amount of money on. And it isn't just the acquisitions of that ed tech. It's how it gets used, and and how staff are trained, how students are trained as well. You know, do you want your students joining remotely and turning their cameras off? Because you wouldn't sit in a lecture space or a classroom anonymously. You'd be there. You'd be facing the front. So why would you not do that remotely? Um, So there's lots of aspects around the technology that that are actually crucial for getting it embedded and brought into everyday use. I heard from one university a few weeks ago who said all their staff want to be back on campus, you know, and yet uh, you hear from another university that actually the staff don't want to come back. That doesn't really give you an answer. I saw a webinar over a month ago from a firm of architects, who one of the big firm of architects within the higher education space, and they've already started to remove large lecture spaces from their campus redevelopment master plans they're not there anymore those spaces are being either not built if it's a brand new build or if it's a refurbishment they're being refurbed into something else there's still a requirement for the campus and there's still a requirement for small group interactions there's been a realization i think in the last 18 months that that people for 10 years have been saying there's no need to do large-scale lectures in person these the Those types of things can be delivered as effectively online, so why wouldn't you do that? So there's certainly a realisation that there is going to be a wholesale change um, for for other reasons. And because of the bad experiences students have had or that they've reported they've had, and they're saying, you know, we want to refund of our fees or we want to pay less fees, there's very much that conception now that the student is the consumer and therefore the consumer is always right and the consumer will only buy what they want to buy. And so there is going to be a change because... For some people, not being on campus and learning remotely has actually been a really positive um, experience for them, and their outcomes have improved. So that's something else that is you know to throw into the mix of state of play.
0: So, Peter, from your point of view as a kind of solution provider, do you see the same thing?
2: I do see similar things to what Duncan is saying. There's a couple of points I want to pick up on. One is we really need to think of senior leaders within higher education universities, to really get the these people to buy into and to understand the value that EdTech can bring. So I'd say senior leaders, and I don't know if any of them are listening to this podcast, really take a little bit of time to decide who you're going to partner with, who you're going to work with. So that's one point I'd make. I think Duncan's spot on when we talk about the the student power almost, and I'm a parent of two children who are at university at the moment, and I know that they have as groups within the university been talking because they are looking at this fee that they're paying every year, and that they'll have to pay back. And they're really asking, am I getting the same experience as, you know, I would have got two or three years ago. So I think that student power, that student voice is also important. There are two other stakeholders in this conversation. Um, And finally, we are seeing mixed messages from universities. So I was talking to a large university up in the north of England only this week. And their challenge is the number of overseas students that they have. So they have 30% of their students are overseas students. And the challenge now is how do they deliver the learning experience when they're working across multiple time zones, when they are actually um, got to um, even deal with technology that maybe not, is not approved to be used in some other regions. So there is a lot of complexity. But I do want to say one thing before I hand back to you, Mark, or to Duncan. We really have to take our hats off to the hard work that lecturers, universities and teachers have done after and during COVID. They've been thrown in over the last 18 months. And there is a phenomenal amount of work gone in. And that just reflects the quality of the teachers, the lecturers that we have within the system. And that's one thing that has really struck me when I sit back and reflect about it.
0: Often we talk about technology in this sector. You know, we we we've all probably heard of plenty of stories where technology has been more of a hindrance than a help. And I think, you know, maybe this is this is part of why we've come together as a little group to try and see how we can solve these problems going forward with some ideas, some experimental new thoughts. This concept we've created um, for the hybrid classroom called the Visual Learning Lab, or the VLL. Um, Duncan, what is the Visual Learning Lab?
1: Well, the Visual Learning Lab is not yet a finished product. It's certainly, um, you know, work in action at the moment. And it's really an attempt to democratize the improvement of online, either fully online or hybrid learning. The very first one that I became aware of that was that, that was trying, as Peter said, to deliver to remote students in different, different time zones. Um, but in real time was one actually that Harvard introduced about I think it was in twenty fifteen. They called it the Harvard Business Experience. A big room, lots of screens, all the students came in on the screens. That I believe has not been replicated by anybody yet because it was over a million dollars. You know, it was an expensive room, but you know, something like Harvard can afford that. More recently we've had things like Barco and X twenty and Mashmi who have created these what I would term as Elite rooms, not out of any sense of deference, but just because they are expensive, they're a massive investment. And they were aimed very much at executive MBAs, people paying high fees, also as great PR for bringing, you know, we've invested in this room, why wouldn't you join us and pay your fees to do your MBA here? But what we've realized is that if you can see 24 students on the wall in front of you at at the... pretty much the same proportions if they were physically sat in the room that has to be a better experience than just seeing 24 students on a 15 or 16 inch laptop screen you know you on, when you're seeing 24 students as a thumbnail you can't see their body language you can't see their engagement and, and they're not you know they're not going to feel engaged if they've not you've got those tools and tricks that that are in the that are in some of these other systems to help them engage and participate so you know the idea behind the visual learning lab was to try and create something just using standard kit. I mean, the great thing about the partnership we've got you know, with ViewSonic and Kramer and Ava and, and sort of backed by Intel is the fact that you know, those companies could almost on their own try and fathom out something. But we decided very early on that actually bringing the companies together and with that overlap of um, capabilities and expertise and knowledge, we could potentially create something far greater. What the Visual Learning Lab is basically is doing is creating that big visual panorama. But instead of using lots of screens that can only do one thing, we've used two ViewSonic large interactive flat panels side by side, butted up right together so they can actually um, operate in a number of ways. Now, the, the original concept that we had and we started exploring was to try and use those two screens as one screen. So you just put one desktop onto them. Now you could have your You'll, you know, Just the software that you already know, there's no learning curve then for using Teams or Zoom or things like that. But now you could use it in a much better way. But working with the uh, um, City of Glasgow College, we've found out that actually they really like using them as two separate screens, bringing, bringing content onto each screen, maybe something that the academic wants to put on one screen and something that a, st- a student has then contributed from their laptop or, or phone because you can connect with anything up onto the other screen. Now you can see it in one visual panorama. You're looking forward, you're seeing both screens, and now you can see a a mix of media, of of sources, where you can compare and contrast these different sources of information. And it really helps to advance learning by having those connections. It is still the case that PowerPoint rules in terms of delivery of material, and you see one slide, and if you want to bring something else in, it replaces the slide before. So you can bring some information in and and then strengthen it rather than replacing it by using two screens. But if we want to use it as one big screen, we can do that. I don't think we've done it yet at Glasgow, but you know, we could easily, using the ViewSonic software, we could easily whiteboard across those two screens as well. So, in other words, we can start to use that state of two screens, and I believe we could even extend that to three if we needed to. We can now actually, um, you know, we can we can get a far greater return on our investment, a much smaller investment, by just using this standard equipment and but just configuring it in a slightly different way to you know, how people normally would. So again, in terms of that usage, somebody coming into the space, you know, yes, you can connect wirelessly, but hey, do you know what? If you just plug your HDMI cable into the laptop, it comes onto the screen automatically. It, you know, I can, there's a button to press and on comes the visualizer. So again, if you want to break up that learning or show somebody a real example, if you're talking about, you know, financial meltdown or the an economic problem with Brexit or whatever, you could put there the financial times under the, today's financial times under the visualizer and show students that, you know and the great thing about what we're doing there is it's not just those students in the room, It's it's students who might be sat remotely who can now both see that information in real time and contribute in real time and so Having said all that in a very long-winded way, really, what we're trying to do with this is just democratise it because we we recognise that what the pandemic has done is it's it's driven the need to have more of these facilities on campuses. If we're going to get that student engagement levels raised, and at you know two hundred and fifty, three hundred thousand pounds a system for those elite systems, that just isn't possible. You know, most colleges can't afford one, and yet they might need several of them. And what we haven't got is perfect. You know, as we said, it's in development and. We keep learning things as our partners in Glasgow start using it and find out different things. And that's why I'm really excited by it, because we haven't just said, well, there it is. They just buy these five bits of kit and, and configure them together. I'm really interested in the way that they're applied and that students use them, but, and, but also the academics and we can, how we can feed that back in to try and improve it through some different configurations or or, or um, just you know best practices, because it is the social side of, use, of using it and the changes of culture that are just as important as buying the kit itself
0: um so peter why did fusonic want to get involved in in this and um you know what what were your kind of hopes and aims for this project you know what do you see might the outcome might be you know what do you see as the value for the educators the institution the students
2: so so i think um duncan covered some of the reasons it is about democratizing And equity in education. So we want to be able to offer solutions to universities, schools that are actually maybe at different places from a financial point of view, from a learning point of view. So it's bringing that equity to it that is really important to us. I think there's a key word that Well Duncan was talking. I was thinking of, which is flexibility, because. Education is complex, and there isn't necessarily one solution that will fit all. What we're learning when we work with Glasgow is we're looking and learning at how how the actual solution will evolve, and it is a journey. There isn't some um, utopia that I'm picturing in my mind. We will, as we work through it, though, learn a great deal that will go into the work that we do moving on from here so it's flexibility it's democratizing it's equity it's also in you know the solutions we're talking about here really drives collaboration that's a skill that we talk about quite a lot and clearly what we're doing here is really allowing collaboration to occur and allowing schools to And universities to switch very quickly to different methods of teaching. We don't know what the future is going to bring, we don't know as we come out of Covid whether there'll be any little hiccups or um, changes as we move forward and we want that flexibility so that a school can switch on, switch off, offer collaboration, offer hybrid collaboration and that's what we're developing. It's a partnership, and it will be from the work that the college puts in, the work that we put in, and the work that Intel puts in.
1: Oh, I th- actually, Peter, I think you're absolutely right there. I hadn't considered that before, because if you think about the... You know, pre-COVID, I know there've been some. I know there've been some universities been experimenting with new learning spaces, but the majority, the vast majority of learning spaces on university campuses were either lecture theatres, classrooms, or specialist labs for medicine and engineering and things like that. Um, and I can see moving forward, uh, and we haven't figured it out. I don't think anybody's figured it out yet. But I think that I think those campuses are going to have a more diverse range of learning spaces. Uh, because we don't know what's going to be thrown at us, you know, it could be that um, you know it might be that that might be that ongoing COVID hiccup that you just mentioned, but it might just be now with you know with all the emphasis at the moment, we've got the COP twenty six coming up in Glasgow, we've got all the protests going on around the M twenty five to do with climate change. It could be that climate change is the one thing that says, "Hey, don't go to campus, stay back today, and do do things remotely," as well. And as I said, you know, we we do know that some, you know, I'm aware of some. Um, some feedback I heard from some colleges in Scotland who have quite a high percentage of autistic students and those students have flourished by not actually having to get onto minibuses and have that horrible journey to college and sit in a class with other people they dislike because you know, because that causes them anxiety. They don't then engage properly. They've engaged far more when they've been on a Zoom call. So it's not all bad, you know, there's lots of stories of doom and gloom with Zoom, but actually there have been some really positives around that. So I I think it's gonna be more diverse Learning estate,
2: and I, I think that's a key point. We sometimes look at the negatives. So I know that certain groups, like boys, for instance, have actually benefited from actually working from home because distractions to learning and allowing them to engage is different when they're working individually. So there is reports coming out that are clearly showing that there are groups and your autistic children that you talked about students that's another group that are actually benefiting from the actual new world that we're currently working
1: in this hybrid world yeah and that's like a change of culture that edtech has to enable yeah so yeah that's, and that's I think the, the, the other thing, thing. We,
2: we the other thing we haven't really touched on that's also critical is having this solution that is easy for a teacher to access So. We know with our view sonic solutions, it's walk up and use. And we know that in universities, you know, if there is a large learning curve for the academic to go into the room, and as you said, it's a, a room that requires a specialist set of skills, that's going to be difficult. So I think you're right with that first comment we made earlier on democratizing education, that this is allowing lecturers and teachers to walk in and use it is almost a mirror of what they're doing and to use it in a very simple way with a low barrier to entry.
1: Yeah and I think what another positive actually we like to sort of focus on positive But another positive of the pandemic from an edtech point of view is that um, there were many occasions where those, um, where teachers, tutors, whatever you want to call them, had some difficulties with Zoom. You know, there was people coming. There was, obviously, it was blown out of all proportion, but there was reports of people Zoom bombing accidentally into calls and, and, and not getting everybody on the call together. Now, going back prior to the pandemic, anybody engaged with EdTech, you know, and had that first bad experience, they would probably then try and turn away and not use it. But of course, they didn't have any option. They had to use it. So they had to use it a second time and a third time. And, that, and that, so that actually reinforced their use of it, which they probably would have disengaged with previously because they'd have been allowed to disengage with it. Oh, it's not working. Uh, you know, I shan't bother. But they had to because it was the only way then to communicate with their students.
2: And, and that research side is something that we do need to explore more in the project because we're going to gain a lot of data, a lot of information. And in answer to your question, Mark, that's another key reason that we're involved in the project, because we don't want to lose some of the gains and we don't want to slip back to the pre-COVID days. We want to actually change what the future classroom will look like and this if you want are small tentative steps on that journey.
0: Okay so I just want to focus a bit more on the technology and the use case we've got a mixture I guess of um, established technologies that we've brought together in a kind of unique way and also we're looking at some some newer technologies built around computer vision as well that we're trialing. So we've got these twin ViewSonic screens connected together as a single touch canvas um, that kind of enables collaborative learning, which is actually a key part um, of learning that doesn't happen so much today. And that actually will really um, come to the fore, I think, with, with the reconfiguration of campuses going forwards, getting rid of the big lecture rooms, creating collaboration spaces. So we need some collaboration technology in there. And those two screens linked together as one, forms a key part of that that yep, also then enables oh sorry Duncan not on please
1: no I was going to say yeah you're absolutely right and we've we're feeding into those screens from um the Kramer via hardware yes that that allows a number of things to happen really simply one is as I mentioned before it allows um it, it allows uh, anybody to come in with any laptop and connect and using a HDMI go straight into the via it comes on the screen and and it's part of the collaboration and it also allows anything with a anything with HDMI output. So we've got a visualizer in there as well that can be used instantly. But people could come in with digital microscopes, anything anything with that sort of digital interface can be put into the system. But it also means that whatever's on the screen, students students anywhere can now see back on their own laptops, so they can add their own notes to that, or they can contribute up. So you, you know you could have two students, four students, um, all contributing their output, their, their work onto the screen at one time so we could onto those two screens at one time so we can now compare and contrast. You know, if you set those students in groups a little task or individually a task, here we can see the output all in one go. So I think that's, you know, and that's just standard equipment that, you know, we some of that Kramer we use on the roadshow and it's it's you know, it's been very well established and accepted in the UK. Um, and then, you know, the, the back of the room's got an AVA uh PTZ you know tracking camera. So wherever the academic walks around the front of the room, they haven't got to stand still because the camera will follow them. So in terms of that, you know, existing technology that sort of I won't say everybody knows that most people know, certainly all the learning technologists who are crucial in helping to get this stuff adopted, they all know that. That's there. But then as you said, I think, you know, I'll let you explain a bit more about the you know, some of the computer vision and other things that we can now start to bring into this to that will help us get that data.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And just to add to that, so we've got the existing we've got uh we also support video conferencing for the remote guys. So it's a it's an agnostic platform. You can run anything like on that. Uh you've yep. got the wireless presentation. Um another fairly well, I'm not gonna say stand a bit of kit, but what we're seeing coming in now a bit more, we've got um, a system there to measure the room temperature, uh, the air quality as well. So looking at humidity levels and CO2 levels, because we think actually when we start to analyze the data, some of these factors will come together. You know, actually the collaboration in the room increased when this happened, that happened, and the humidity was at a certain point, you know, we don't know yet. So all this data has been collected. Uh, and then to build into that, we've got this um, system from a UK company called Sensing Feeling, who provide privacy-friendly or GDPR-compliant um, student well-being and engagement system. So it's looking, it's looking at the room, the people in the room, and using a bunch of um, inputs from, from the camera, it's looking to see how people are engaging during the session. So again, we're, we're recording that data.
2: And certainly, I'd add from ViewSonic's point of view, that data is really important and can be looked at almost in the area of marginal gains. So anybody listening to the podcast who's been involved with sport, for instance, will know how small little tweaks can really add to the outcome. And actually, we see at ViewSonic that, actually measuring things like light, even movement. I was talking to a professor earlier this week where they've got clear um, research that's showing that as a class moves, there is often greater outcome and attainment, and that may be... um, Not what we would expect because we spend our lives getting people to sit in rows. So I think there's an interesting area there that the virtual learning lab is going to allow us to look at as well.
0: So just thinking about the next step, we're on this journey with Glasgow. We've we've put this equipment in. Um, we're, We're very fortunate, those guys. We've had great sponsors there at the institution to really kind of help drive it forward. It's now part of the timetable system. So lecturers can... Uh, book the space, um, you know, from from this term going forward. So we're now going to start using the kit and we hope the university uses it well, or sorry, the, the, the college uses it, and we'll start collecting data. So for me, the, the next steps are, are twofold. One is the data. We need to start collecting data from all the sensors in the kit in the room and, and to start analysing it to determine, you know, how effective has it been What's our journey been like? Maybe we'll find actually bits of kit in there are um, not as good as we thought, or actually we might find there's an amazing thing that happens when X, Y, and Z happen at the same time. So data's the next step for me, and then we're driving that forward into um, smart campus. So Intel's got a vision about smart campus. So what we mean by that is, you know, many sensors in a building, uh, in an education institute that get combined onto a common platform to The benefit of all, Um, we've already gone some of the way there with the Visual Learning Lab. So we've got the ViewSonic interactive screens. We support hybrid collaboration. We're looking at computer vision technology for student engagement. We're looking at air quality, humidity, CO two. So they're all generating data onto the platform. Um, We're also then hoping to expand the computer vision. But you know what happens if we had a system that could track the student ID? So rather than using their badges in Uh, to scan in. Actually, a system could recognise the student had walked in just from the cameras in the building, uh, recognise the student journey around the campus, uh, digital signage, security, um, and then maybe also personalising the student engagement during a lecture as well. So that is a whole part of a new journey we're on at the minute with Glasgow and it's new ground, I think.
1: I think it's really exciting because, you know, we talk about smart campuses before um, and they've been talked about in higher education. Obviously, you've got smart buildings within the corporate world, but they're all about cost saving. They're all about turning the lights out when nobody's in the room, or you know, putting equipment onto standby. But really, now we're talking about that—that that those systems helping learning outcomes. Because you know, if, if we make the building cooler, then. It's not about saving money on heating. It's about actually, our students learning better when because they're not too hot and falling asleep? I mean, I know some of it is still around perception. There's still a lot of perception about, you know, human perception about how good a learning space is or whether students are enjoying it or whether it's a good experience. And sometimes the perception won't match the data. But, you know, we, we know from some of the work people like Stephen Heppel have done that you know you reduce the CO2 by just opening the window and, and all of a sudden the students are a lot more engaged and a lot more attentive because they're not overdosing on CO2 in the room uh, and now we know that over doing that is less likely to allow you know COVID to spread we open the windows we get that circulation and that's better so there's a health benefit there as well which if we monitor it we can tell that really the only thing holding us back at the moment is just the cultural side of things we don't believe that we should monitor people and because we see it as a as a force for evil and not a force for good. And that's what, I think that's the real challenge to change that and to, and to get some little projects going where we can actually say this, you know, there was no, there were no bad outcomes from this in terms of, you know, surveillance and all those things that people fear. It is actually all designed about how can we improve the student experience? Because if we do that and their outcomes improve, then their life prospects are better, aren't they? I mean, that's a, that's a well-documented, um, Outcome, you know, there's a long, there's a long study over many, many years that if students are engaged, their outcomes will improve. If their outcomes improve, so they get higher educational attainment, then they'll earn more.
2: And I, I, I did hear a good um, quote. I think it was OECD, so I can't take credit for it, but they were talking about how some of this technology can make great teachers even greater. So it's really supporting that learning journey and that teacher as well as the student.
0: So gents, thank you ever so much uh, for your time today. Uh, Super interesting discussion. If you want to find out a bit more, you can search for Intel Visual Learning Lab. Peter, if someone wants to get in contact with you, how can they do so?
2: So probably the easiest way is to look me up on LinkedIn, Peter Claxton, ViewSonic. Uh, I'm easy to find there, and I'm very happy to have a conversation To talk to you in a lot more detail about some of this exciting work and innovative work that ViewSonic is doing, Um, and you never know, we could be talking about a project with one of your schools moving forward.
0: And Duncan, you're all over the internet, but you know, just in case somebody doesn't (laughs) know I hold of you. you, you
1: And, and some of it in a good way yeah. um <laughs>
0: yeah no i've got a little project
1: website called learn all one word so uh, you can find me on there i'm on linkedin uh, duncan Peabody. um so yeah as you say i you shouldn't have any trouble finding me really at all
0: thank you guys and so again for me it's uh it's mark mark frost look me up on linkedin um pretty easy to get hold of So I want to thank our audience for tuning in today to The Edge and Beyond, um, the series that makes sense of powerful innovation for real-world industry applications, brought to you by Intel's Internet of Things group. To hear the latest thought leadership from Intel, do subscribe to The Edge and Beyond podcast and stay up to date with every new episode. Thank you.